All right. Well, we're going to get started today. So everybody should uh, have some notes on your table. You can go ahead and collect those. I hope you uh, boned up on your martial arts training ahead of time or to fend off the kick from that soup. So hopefully didn't cause any suffering today, but uh, it was enjoyable. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a spicy food uh, person. So, uh, well, we are going to get started. If you weren't here earlier when I introduced myself, my name is Evan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview. So if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I would love to be able to do that. Is something not loud enough? What you saying, Miss Brenda? More volume. All right. We'll get you. She was doing her cheerleading routine in the... Uh, yeah, it's good. All right, let's turn open to Matthew chapter 5. And if you're just uh, joining in with us today, we, we've been studying through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Uh, so we're on the, on the third one for today. And, and Jesus, he presents certain characteristics. What, 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 should, uh, what should characterize uh, the members of his kingdom, his followers? And he uses this word blessed again and again. And, and that word uh, blessed, it, it means to be favored, it means to be fortunate, it, it's, it's also just the, the word for happy as well. And, and here's a, a, a principle in life that you know, you, you've probably discovered and uh, I've discovered as well is that we, we don't tend to really understand our own happiness. Right? We, we have an idea of what we think is going to, to make us happy, but that doesn't really mean that we're, we're experts in the category of, of happiness. And uh, case in point for this for me uh, is my kids. Uh, I've got you know, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and uh, a wife who feels like she should have given birth two months ago. Uh, but thir third baby will be due next month. Um, March 16th or so, we got another boy coming on the way. So daughter, son, and a, a little boy on, on the way. And, you know, there's that, th that, that age, you know, I can remember my daughter when she was 14 months old and just convinced that a way to have a good time is to shove a, as, as many rocks and, and gravel and dirt in her mouth as possible. And, and you just get into an argument, you're trying to, you know, dig your fingers in there and, and take it out. And it's, thankfully, she's moved on from that. But, uh, you know, I can tell you, th this week, if you were to make an offer to her and say, okay, I've got a I've got million dollars right here, and I've got Valentine's candy that's just ready to be received and enjoyed. She, she's going to go for the candy every time, right? Because she just doesn't have the understanding, she doesn't have the maturity yet to know what, what's going to lead to more happiness in the end. And, and that's true of all of us as well. We, 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 are, we are amateurs with our own happiness. You know, maybe we've lived a full life, but that doesn't mean we really understand this. And that's why to us the, the Beatitudes can seem uh, so paradoxical, um, so strange. And, and so much of, of Jesus' teaching is, is like this. He says, uh, you know, the way up is down. If you, if you want to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. Deny yourself, 
and then you will be saved in the end. And that's because Jesus' kingdom is, is not of this world. It has entered this world, but it has an entirely different value system. And, and there's a little bit of mystery to this, right? Because if you aim at the things that, are, that you think are going to make you happy, you know, things like getting people in your life to cooperate with you, getting the things that you think that, that you want, achieving recognition, then you're going to end up empty, you feel hollow. But if you don't make your personal fulfillment here and now as your ultimate goal, then he says you, you get permanent fulfillment in the end. That, that's how the Sermon on the Mount works. And so Jesus promises something incredibly rewarding here. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not challenging. And in one sense, the Beatitudes, they're, they're, they're the easiest thing in the world to pursue. You know, be poor in spirit. Um, come with nothing. He's talking to the lowly. He's talking to the, the people in society that don't have anything together. He's talking to the, the oppressed and, and the persecuted here. And so there, there's no standard. There's no standard of moral perfection. There's no uh, status that they have to arrive at in terms of social class in order to be included in, in his kingdom. It's, it's just an invitation to come as you are, empty-handed, and needy, and yet at the same time, that, that is the hardest thing in the world. As Jesus says elsewhere, that, that's like pulling a camel through the eye of a needle. And how do you do that? Right? How, how do you get a camel through an eye of a needle? Uh, well, strand by strand. You have to break it down into little tiny pieces and thread it through and make it whole on the other side. And that's what Jesus wants to do with our lives. And so th these beatitudes, one after one, these principles, they assault our pride as they, as they mold us into being more like Jesus. And that's true in the category we'll consider today as well. So Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed or happy or favored are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now what do we mean by, by meekness? Well, well this, is a, this is a quality, this is actually a, a distinctive quality that Christian women are, are called to pursue. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3 verse 4 uh, that wives in particular are to be adorned with a meek spirit. But this is not just a, a feminine quality, you know, this is a ladies lunch. Uh, but this is something for, for, all, for all Christians. And so let, let's, let's get some potential misunderstandings out of the way. Jerry Bridges writes, Meekness is not being timid, spineless, unassertive, and easily dominated. It is not a natural niceness. In fact, it has nothing to do with one's personality or temperament. Right? They're, they're a spectrum of personality and, and temperament differences that we have as people that God has made. And, and, and you can look a certain way and you can act a certain way and that might be soft and quiet and unassuming, but that doesn't mean you're, you're meek. And on the other hand, you might be somebody that veers toward being loud and talkative and you put yourself out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're not weak, meek, right? This isn't about personality. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within Yet it is a character trait that can and should be cultivated in our lives. It needs to be wrought by the Holy Spirit. 
and, and Jesus was obviously the meekest person who ever lived. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am meek and lowly in heart. And so Charles Wesley was, was not wrong uh, to describe him in, in the hymn, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild. Now clearly, meekness is not opposed to confidence uh, or to passion and zeal because this is the same Jesus who denounced the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. Uh, this is the same Jesus who, who entered into the temple and formed a whip and, and drove out the money changers, right? So meekness is not the opposite of boldness, but it is the opposite of taking charge in life of trying to manage life and the people around you on your own terms and with your own personal agenda. It is a relinquishing of control. It's a submission to God and a service toward others. That, that's the posture of, of meekness. And so when it's properly understood, uh, meekness is, is actually shrewd and tough in some challenging ways. It's often the arrogant, controlling person who takes the easy way out. Sinclair Ferguson says, meekness is certainly not a lack of backbone. Rather, it is the humble strength that belongs to the woman who has learned to submit to difficulties. Difficult experiences and difficult people. Knowing that in everything, God is working for her good. The meek person is the one who has stood before God's judgment and abdicated all her supposed rights. She has learned in gratitude for God's grace to submit herself to the Lord and to be gentle with sinners. Right, now that, that's a full definition. And thank you for that, Mr. Sinclair Ferguson. But how do we know that, right? Well, where's all that coming from? How do we know um, what Jesus means when he uses this, this word meek? And as readers of the Bible... How would we go about discovering that? Uh, well, Jesus himself was, was a, a scripture-saturated man. And, and so something to, to ask is, is there, is there anything in Jesus' Bible, or is there anything in the Old Testament scriptures that he might be drawing from in his explanation of, of meekness? And, and it seems like he's referring to Psalm chapter 37. And we'll see why in, in a moment. But go ahead and turn to Psalm 37. And we're going to read this together, verse 1 through 11. Psalm 37, verse 1. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. 
Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land. And that word for land, it's the same word that Jesus uses when he says the meek will inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant peace. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need this truth. God, so often what we are striving after and what we are worrying about, Lord, it, it, it competes with the grace that you want at work in our lives. Lord, there is, there is something good here. There, there's a big promise, in fact, in this passage that Lord, we want to experience in increasing ways in our lives. So God, help us to understand what you have to say. Help us to receive it with meekness. And and Lord, help us to, to live in light of who you are and what you've done in our lives and how you're teaching us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, a couple things that are in, in this psalm and that I think are part of the, the definition of meekness. And that would be meekness toward God and meekness toward others. So, so first, what does it mean to be meek toward God? Well, uh, first, I, I, I describe that as a submission to God's word. Uh, look at verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. All right, well, what are you going to trust? Well, you, you're going to trust the Lord's revelation. You're, you're going to trust what God has said, what he's spoken into your, into your lives. You're going to place your faith in that. It says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Right? Befriending faithfulness, I could either do that or I can make myself a companion of my own thoughts and the running commentary in my own head and my own ideas. And that, that's what David seems to be tempted to do in this psalm, but he says, I'm, I'm going to turn away from all, all those false hopes of friendship, and I, I'm going to befriend the faithfulness that God wants to produce in my life. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, right? M- making yourself near to God, responsive to him, longing uh, to, to, to see his face and to hear his voice and to have him address your needs, and so this is how uh, James describes it in James chapter 1 when it comes to our posture toward God's word. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, right? Speaking and anger, those, those are the natural impulses that Psalm 37 is drawing us away from. Well, what, what, what do you do instead? Well, we're, we're, we're quick to hear For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and instead receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that that is the only way to receive the word of God. If it's not done with meekness, then it's... It's not really receiving. It's, it's, it's allowing it to sit there. It's, it's debating in your head whether or not that's really going to apply to us, you know. But, but to actually to take it into our lives, that requires a, a humble submission 
under its authority and, and an invitation to allow it to mess with us. Uh, Thomas Watson says, he is spiritually meek who conforms himself to the mind of God and does not quarrel with the instructions of the word, but with the corruptions of his heart. I think that's just very well said. Doesn't quarrel with the instructions of the word, but with the corruptions of his heart, right? When, when, we, when we read this, there should be a struggle that takes place. There, there should be contending that happens. But that contending shouldn't happen with this. That contending should happen with what, what inside of me resists this? What inside of me is, is choosing my own perspective and my own approach to life and my own desires apart from God's word and apart from what he's revealing and, and, and speaking to me? So, so receiving God's word with, with meekness uh, is to be teachable. It's, it's to be eager to receive insight from God and, and how we need to change. It's uh, to be responsive when, when God's word shines a light on, on our hearts and the hidden motives and ambitions and anxieties that exist inside all of us, right? We're not resisting God having a conversation with us and saying, what is going on inside of your heart? Can I, can I speak to that? And, and meekness just invites God, ex expose that. Expose that through your word. Expose that through others speaking your word into, into my life. Uh, so, submission to God's word. Second about meekness toward God is trusting God's plan. Look at verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. All right, there, there are dimensions to life and, and you know this that sometimes we, we just do not understand. No matter how many times uh, we, we turn them over in our minds, they, they don't make sense. They look unfavorable. They look unjust. They look like everything is going to fall apart, right? That, that can happen in, in relationships. It can happen in, in friendships that you know, people that you have walked with for years and, and it seems like things have taken a turn and it's it, it just the, the way things are playing out you, you're, you can't wrap your mind around how can this be right surely this, this isn't God's plan for, for this surely this isn't what God would want for my life it could happen in the dimensions of your, of your family uh, walking through problems that might exist maybe for some of you as you're, as you're caring for parents in their old age and just in, in the, the weaknesses that they have settled into and, and now how they turn on you and how they treat you in this and the way that they, they speak to you, it, it, it just doesn't seem like, how, how can this be anything good for me? Many of you are walking through loss and grief, losing a loved one, right? So, David is aware of that and, and what he describes here is, is a humility that, that recognizes God's wisdom and ways are beyond us. And he says, can we, can we just be okay with that? Can we be okay with 
not having to trace everything out and say, okay, I can see, I can see how the destination here is going to be good for me. It's like, what, what, if, what, if, what if you don't have that at all? And what if you never get that in this life? Are you, are you okay with, with, with God being in charge? With God exercising his right over history and his right over our lives and what he has communicated as his plan and good intentions for us, right? Job had to recognize that. You're familiar with his story and, and he thinks he's got a case. He thinks, look, I don't know what you people are saying about this, this rule that you think, you know, I must be suffering because I've done something horribly wrong, but I'm convinced I'm the exception to that rule and in fact, I need to have a conversation with God about this. I need, to, I need, to, I need him to make his case because I've got mine made out. And at the end of the story, uh, you know, he never receives the answer he wants, but he receives an encounter that puts him in his place. And he says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Look, we, we live in a culture, and I think this, this infects my generation. Um, and I think it's, <laughs> there's, there's a danger of that spilling over into, into yours as well, where we, we don't ever want to be in a place where we don't have an answer, where we don't have some ability to assess and figure things out. And, and, and the way that the news cycle happens these days, it's so fast, it's so frenzied. I mean, so just... Last week, people who have never thought about this a day in their life, they suddenly become experts on foreign policy and immigration and whatever. It's like you have to have an opinion. You have to have an ability to engage that. And we can kind of take that same sort of posture in, into the dimensions of our lives. And we want to be in a place where I can see things clearly and I can put this in a category that makes sense to me. But, but Job is saying so much about life we have to be okay with saying that, that God, that's yours. That's, that's too wonderful for me. I just admit I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. I wouldn't be able to handle all the dimensions of managing humanity <laughs> that God is exercising. And so I'll just let that be yours and I'll be your servant. Thomas Watson says, the meek-spirited Christian saith thus, let God do what he will with me. Let him carve out what condition he please. I will submit. God sees what is best for me, whether a fertile soil or a barren. Let him checker his work as he please. It suffices that God has done it. And, and you will be content in this way. You, you, you'll do this. You'll... You'll turn over your life like a blank check for God to write in the amount, for him to assign what's going to come when, when you are convinced that he's good, when you have uh, a deep conviction and a, an awareness that's, that's developed through prayer and reading his word. And I know for, for many of you, that, that's a conviction that you have, but as, as life ebbs and flows, there are different conditions of vulnerability and different challenges to our faith and, and, and some of you, you might be in a season where you, you need to take some time to stare at that, right? to, to 
open up to Romans chapter 8 and let that be a uh, meditation for you. Maybe to memorize Psalm 37 if, if, if a lot in this, this passage is reality for you right now. But uh, David says to, to commit your way to the Lord, to just let him handle it. We're not trying to uh, maneuver and manipulate people and circumstances to ensure that events turn out in a way that we think uh, is reasonable and, and just. John Piper says the Hebrew word for commit means literally to roll. Meek people have discovered that God is trustworthy and so they roll their way, right? Their business, their problems, their relationships, their health, their fears, their frustrations. They roll all this onto the Lord, right? You cast your burdens on him. They admit that they are insufficient to cope with the complexities and pressures and obstacles of life and they trust that God is able and willing to sustain them and guide them and protect them. Okay? So meekness toward God and then, and then second, meek toward others. Look at verse 7. He says, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, right? This is God's mercy to us. And again, in our definition of happiness and what we can see as that's going to be beneficial to me, this is the very feeling that we run away from. We don't want to feel vulnerable to people. We don't want to feel at, at, you know, at the end of their actions and exposed to what's inside of their, their heart and how uh, they've hurt us and how they, they might damage us in the future. We, we want to be in control of their response and, and to be able to, to manage the situation. And so if we become aware that, that somebody thinks ill of us, that you know, maybe that they... they or calling into question something we did or some decision that, that we made. Right? We, we, we want to do what we can to, to correct their perspective and maybe you can do that in real subtle ways or just real overt ways. We, we got to talk. You know? but, but, but some way, you know, you're aware of this. You're aware uh, they've got something against me. Uh, they've done something against me. And so what, what, what can I do to try to make this right? Maybe God is calling us to... to pursue reconciliation and there, there's a lot of uh, passages in the Bible that, that address that. But what God is, is inviting us to here is to live without frenzy and fret. To, to live without that mental management of who people are and what they've done to us and how they've injured us. And, and I'm just okay. Again, I'm okay with God being the one in charge of that. Now, if that's how we should be toward the wicked, right? David, David had some legitimate enemies in his life. David had people that were actually trying to physically kill him. I don't know if that's true of anybody in this room. Maybe so. Let's talk after and get some more information about that. I'd like to hear those stories. Uh, but, it, but if that's true of how, how you're supposed to handle the wicked, all the more so if, if, if it's the saints of God. And, and if, if we're fretting ourselves over fellow believers and 
and how they're postured toward us. And that's, that's got us in a funky place. Just an invitation to, to return to the Lord and to release people from our attempts uh, to control them and to work out our own sense of what is just. Uh, we get this obviously from the example of Jesus, 1 Peter 2, 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, right? So when you trust God's providence, when, when you trust that God is righteous and he's wise and he will make things clear in his timing that, that frees us from trying to use the resources of the flesh uh, to solve the problems that, that confront us. And obviously, Jesus is not just our example in this, but he's, he's our power to do this. It's the gospel, right? The, the, the fact that Jesus suffered unjustly, not only as the prime example of that, but in our place for the wrong that we deserved. And so if, if I'm aware, if I'm aware of, of my sin against God, right, I'm poor in spirit, I mourn over my sin, uh, that I'm aware that I'm the one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the evildoers that put Jesus on that cross to whom he has shown mercy and forgiveness. And so I can release the people in my life from the grip that I've got them held in. Um, well, this, this, this psalm moves beyond merely just uh, not being vindictive or having bitterness toward, toward people. Uh, there, there's, there's an active posture to, to do good uh, toward them. And so James 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Right, that's an interesting phrase. Uh, wisdom, right, by its nature, in, in the book of Proverbs, is teachable. It's receptive. It's It's humble. And, and he's going to show us, okay, what, what, what does meek wisdom look like? He says in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, right? If, if you notice things rising up inside of you and, and, and they, they look like bitterness, they look like jealousy they, they look like ambition where has that come from it's not come from the lord that's what he's saying here it's, it's, it's earthly unspiritual demonic even for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder in every vile practice but all right so now he's returning to his point here but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This is just some beautiful phrases here. Gentleness. Open, open to reason. Right? Being reasonable in, in, in how we handle people and circumstances. And, and we can be wise in our own eyes and be unreasonable all the same because 
what what they're saying and and what they're presenting and their attempts to entreat us toward them. We've already made up our mind and we've got our case laid out against them, and we're just not we're not open to reason, right? That that that's the opposite of of meekness here. That's the wisdom of of the world and and the resources of this of this age. But but there's a sincerity. In your, in your motives. There's an eagerness to see God's peace brought about where there's conflict. And then he uses this phrase, full of mercy and good fruit. And so God calls us to more than just a passive resignation toward people that we feel have wronged us or with whom we are experiencing uh, ongoing conflicts. He wants more from us just than just say, All right, I won't hold it against you. He, there, there, there's mercy and, and there's, there's good fruit. There's that befriending faithfulness that David was describing here. And, and, and so I know this is, a, this is a simple principle. It's one that Jesus teaches. But, but the people that agitate you and wound you, do you pray for them? And do, you, and do you pray not just that they would come to see your perspective and that they would change and that they uh, would respond to you with, with mercy? Or, or do you pray, like Jesus has to pray, for God's favor on their life, for them to experience the Lord's blessing and care? Right? This is the good fruit that he has in mind. And this, this is where that going through the eye of a needle comes in because... Right? This takes humility right here. This takes us being broken down and being restored after the order of Jesus' kingdom. Jerry Bridges says, you can see that meekness truly is humility in action. It takes humility to submit ourselves and to be convicted by God's word. It takes humility to not murmur or complain about the difficult and painful events in life, but instead to see them as God's work of growing us more and more into the likeness of Christ. It takes humility to bear with and even forgive those who hurt us in some way. And it certainly takes humility to repay evil with good. Well, what is going to cause us to do this? Well, here's the beauty of the Beatitudes. It's not just Jesus saying, hey, here's what you need to do because it's right. Why do it? Because I said so, you know. <laughs> That would be enough, right? That's, that's all we should need. But there is, there's a rich promise here. There's great reward. Verse 11 in Psalm 37, and here's what Jesus is quoting. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And, and, and here's, here's the beautiful irony of these Beatitudes is that the, the very thing that we're fighting for, right? We're fighting for a place in this life, a place in this world. That's what he promises to give us when we are meek. He's saying, surrender your right to territory here and now, and I will give you the whole earth. And this, is, this is amazing, right? We fight and strive for what you can gain here and now, and you will lose it all, but, but hold it with open hands, be ready to release it whenever God asks it of you and you will gain everything. 
And he uses the language of, of an inheritance. And, and that reminds us that we're not just citizens in the kingdom, but we are sons and daughters of the king. Right? We, we are heirs of the promise, heirs of the world to come. And, and, and no one can take that from us. Nobody can take our birthright in the kingdom. And that was uh, Paul's solution when he confronted the church in, in Corinth and, and they are experiencing fighting and competition and they're wanting recognition and there's different factions that are going on and so gossip is happening and people are taking sides on, in different places, following different church leaders. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm better than all of you guys. I'm of Jesus. Who are you people following human leaders here? Um, and so when, when he's wanting to solve that, this is what he says. Verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, right, those worldly standards of wisdom, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Right, there's, there's the paradox of the kingdom. You want to be wise? Do what this world calls stupid. Do what this world declares to be full. What are you doing? Why would you, why would you respond in that way? Don't you deserve, don't you think, right? That, that's their reaction to the very thing that God says, this is wisdom. And he says, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Why not? For... All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. He starts real small. He just starts moving out. Or the world. I don't know how he jumped from Cephas to the world, but the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's, right? Here's this, this, this picture. God who, who owns everything, he holds dearly Christ, right? He, he, he has Christ in his place of affection and love. And within Christ are all the people who belong to Christ. And because they belong to Christ, belonging to them are life and death, present and future, the entire world. And that's the promise that comes to us. If we can, here and now, in this breath of a life that we live, if we can humble ourselves, if we can hold loosely what we tend to, to fight for and try to manage and fret over in this life, in the little while we live here, God's saying, my plan is to give it all to you in unending joy. And that's why here and now, you're blessed. You're blessed if you, if you are meek. I'm going to pray and then transition us to a time of discussion. God, we, we just admit your, your ways are, are not our ways. Your ways are too, too wonderful for us. But your ways are wise. And your ways give life. And so God, would you help us, God? Um, Lord, I'm, I'm sure that I have not done um, 
an adequate job of, of describing all, all the particularities of life that we confront and, and the ways that we need to take this principle into our lives and apply it. So God, would you, would you bless this time of discussion as we, as we think through, Lord, how are you speaking to me personally? Um, how are you leading me toward meekness and toward the blessing that you intend for me to enjoy? Uh, God, thank you for truth. Thank you for how it, it frees us and delights us because we want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Belinda wasn't here to make your fancy little question cards, but uh, at the end of the notes, there are some discussion questions, so you guys can use that for your time today. Thank you so much for allowing me to come today. Enjoy being with you. <laughs>